Welcome back to episode two of The Dark Feminine, the podcast for women and women of color entrepreneurs, founders, and business owners. Now, because this is only the second episode, I'm still ironing out the kinks and kind of trying to figure out the branding and positioning. And for example, if I want it to stay lo-fi or add a little music, you might notice that there is a dog barking in the background or me clicking my pen when you listen to the recording of the podcast. But I kind of like that uh, because perfectionism is just not what I'm going for here. Uh, it's, It's giving you guys the download, the information. But all of that being said, if you have any feedback uh, or you just want to drop me a line or you want to offer an idea, um, please do get in touch. I am at Kalila E. Jones on Instagram and Kalila Jones at carefulfeet.me. I'll make sure to drop how you spell my name in the description of this podcast. Here we go. Today is my first podcast with a guest, which I'm really excited about. Uh, Cue the exciting music if I were into theatrical production values. Um, And I can't imagine a more fitting one for the topic that I want to talk about today, which is corporate feminism. As a pressure test, this morning I told my husband about today's topic, and after an obligatory, cool, (laughs) his next sentence was, So it's about women who work. So it's pretty clear to me that we have a lot to discuss uh, to define and frame this topic and give listeners food for thought on how you guys might shape your own business um, or even just have a conversation around this topic. So without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce you all to my guest, Carolina Bellwell. Uh, she's a very good friend of mine. Uh, she lives in London as well, and we, we met through a personal connection. So also a fellow immigrant to the UK. And she is the founder of a feminist company called Afterthird. So I would love to hear a little bit more about you, Carolina, and about Afterthird. Yes. Thank you for having me on, Kalila. I'm so excited about this conversation. So Afterthird is a company that believes that if we better support working parents, then we can get gender equality within the labor force. And we're working on a solution to sell to companies that they can offer their employees to do this. So we want to basically co-create a better outcome and better gender equity within the workforce with companies. We believe that companies are as interested in this as we are. So very interesting angle from the corporate side because we believe that our incentives and theirs are aligned. Really interesting. And I love the idea of gender equity. And I am interested in kind of peeling peeling that back, particularly in light of today's topic. Um, and just to cue, cue it up a little bit more. Um, so yeah, we're here today to talk about corporate feminism, and especially given your commitment to really building a company that embraces feminism and when I say that, as you say, you use the word equality. So really building with this vision of a place where men and women um, can stand equal to each other, recognizing that that may look a, a little bit different. Um, so just to frame frame up the conversation, in the past two or so years, um, female-led companies have, in my opinion, faced a reckoning when it comes to their internal culture and practices. Um, So we think Refinery29, 
outdoor voices, reformation, but this didn't really like directly affect me. And I, uh, later we can talk about if, if you felt like it affected you before this, but for me, at least I didn't feel like it affected me until news came out about the wing. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the wing, it's a co-working space and so-called intersectional feminist company um, that's based in the US, but it also had a London branch. And Carolina and I were both members and I for one loved the branding and I loved the positioning. It wasn't so much like a Sheryl Sandberg lean in type of feminism, which I personally kind of felt always catered to wealthy white cisgendered women. It was more inclusive, um, folks breaking boundaries and borders through the bonds of community and networking. And it's really disappointing that it's now come out that the internal culture was anything but intersectional. Um, employees, especially trans and non-cisgendered employees of color, reported really horrific treatment, um, including sexual harassment, low, delayed, or even missing pay and uh, non-disclosure agreements that preclude them from from sharing their full experience. Um, and my personal straw on the camel's back uh, was that the wing laid off most of its staff um, and then offered to give them $500 each uh, only to not process these payments and offer $200,000 to the Black Lives, Ladder Black Lives Matter movement in June. So clearly it was uh, either a shameless marketing ploy to lay off staff uh, and then you know not actually process that or to give the money to Black Lives Matter or maybe maybe both were. So so here we are. Many companies, especially those that are female founded and led, um, have you know marketing and branding that say that they're feminist and intersectional. But do these concepts really go together with capitalism? I think especially as investors come on board who want dividends, um, how do we, as we build our businesses, ensure that we continue to grow companies that treat employees fairly, even if, you know, customers and shareholders demand otherwise? And are those of us who are truly committed to intersectional feminism doomed between a choice of growth uh, and leaving our morals and values behind? Or, you know, do we just need to, like, stay small if we really want to be committed to that? Uh, I feel like there's so much to discuss. So... Carolina, where should we begin? So, two things. First of all, I love that you brought up the term shameless marketing because when I think about these companies, I don't think about it as a conflict between capitalism and um, meaningful values. I actually see it as companies that figured out how to use values as a marketing tool. Mm -hmm. I think these companies, if you look at the leadership, typically if you want to see whether values are lived, you need to look at the leadership within a company. And those companies were big enough that they that they had they had significant numbers in the leadership ranks. None of those people lived those values. So the things that they talked about, the brand of feminism that they used, it was a marketing tool. And so if something is a marketing tool, but it's not core to who you are as a company, at some point it's going to fall apart, and it did for them. So I'm not surprised. I was surprised, though, as a member of the wing, to learn that they were um, that type of company. Just when you, at least in London, when you enter um, the, the wing and when, you, when they give you the welcome package, 
they're very good at, at talking about their values and selling them. So they did that very, very well. And for the most part, honestly, you didn't see what happened behind the scenes. So that was kind of what I wanted to, so it's interesting because you and I had a conversation a couple months ago um, where you actually like cited the wings values because I was struggling with kind of communicating the values of my company and you cited those as good values in terms of the way that they were laid out and very clearly laid out as something to emulate. So I'm wondering, you know, how do, how do we look at leadership um, and see that that's actually lived? How do we actually scrutinize those values and see that companies live up to those particularly or like in the context of the wing, we both were going there to work and, you know, we knew the values, we were like talking about them and yet we still were like so blindsided by this and it was clearly not something that was actually being demonstrated. So how do people actually like see that and pressure test that for the companies that they're involved in or the ones that they're trying to build? So I think there's two different answers depending on if you're a customer or you're an employee or founder. I'm gonna start off by answering it from the employee founder perspective. So as, as a, as a co-founder or a leader within a company, I think you need to see if that company clearly states what their values are. And then you actually need to look at how they treat their employees. So in their treatment of their employees, are they living up to those values? Because if they treat their employees with those values, odds are they're going to treat their customers with those values. And odds are that their investors are going to be aware of those values. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's a good litmus test. If you're a customer, I think it's a lot harder. I did read Refinery29 as well. Uh, I never purchased from Outdoor Voices, but I was aware of them and I was a member of the wing and I was aware of the, the messaging of those companies, but until reports started coming out, I had really no inside view. And the interesting thing is at the wing, you actually got to see to some extent how the employees were treated, but you only saw those interactions in passing mm -hmm. as in how you interacted with those employees and you know when they actually had to help you with something. So you didn't really get to see inside the organization. So I think it's very hard as a customer, but I do think as soon as you're aware of something, then you can take action, which is, um, Kalila, what you and I did once we found out what was going on at the wing, we both canceled our memberships. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, still have sometimes these moments where I'm like, was that the right thing to do? Because, you know, that's how, obviously the memberships is what is paying people's salaries but once you know it became clear that they weren't even going to pay the people the back money that they owed them i was like well i have no qualms with with canceling but coming back to the the conversation then around like making sure that those values are really clear there are kind of two things i want to talk about here so one is the conversation around and and I feel like I felt this a lot more um, right when I was starting out, like I am a brand new founder. I have a million things to do. My probably biggest priority is finding customers. Um, are values really something that I need to prioritize? And kind of to, I guess that this is like a, a nested thought. Um, if I'm really early stage and I don't have employees, how important is it that I have these values um, if you know it's just kind of me or if it's me and a freelancer or me and one other person? So I, I best time to, to figure out what your values are because it's a lot harder to build something 
then realize that the, the lived values of the organization aren't what you want them to be. It's a lot harder to take sort of a big snowball that's already careening down a mountain and try to change the, the direction or the color or the size or whatever it is. It's a lot easier to start from the beginning. So I think as someone who's starting out a company, but someone who's providing services, you have your brand story, whether it's you as the brand or your company as the brand. So your brand story is one place where you're going to share your values and you sell based on the values within that story. So it matters to have a sense of what your values are. And Would values are mattering more and more. Investors, especially younger investors, are looking at values um, at increasing rates. The other piece is if you do start hiring, it's best actually to start hiring with values in mind from your first employee because you will refine those values as you get further along in your company. But it's easier to be at a point where let's say you have five employees and you know you hired five employees who don't just have technical skills but support the value of the company rather than to look back at those five employees, realize that you're in a position where you need to grow and three of those five employees have the wrong values. Could you give so, us like an example of values and basically how, and you have a, a background in consulting. So even before starting your own business, just from hearing you speak, I can tell you have so much experience in this from all the companies that you've worked with too. So it doesn't have to necessarily be after third, but just an example of a company value and kind of talk us through, for example, um, a situation where you need to make a hiring or a firing decision, or even like a, a difficult situation where you would need to call upon a value to kind of be your ethical true north, if you will, of how to behave and interact. Yeah, so I think one good example around sort of values is the way that you communicate and collaborate. So let's say that you, one of the things that you value is open collaboration that's built on transparency. And that's also, by the way, built on you get open collaboration and flow of ideas when you tend to run your organization more collaboratively versus as a hierarchy. So let's say that that is your value, that you create innovation really quickly. You're building software, for example, you innovate really quickly because ideas flow and everyone can share their ideas and you've really benefited from that. If you hire someone who comes from a traditional organization that's very top down, and let's say you're building a, um, a more sophisticated engineering operation because you just got funding. And so you hire someone who's technically really good, who's done this at a company that's very top down, you know, command driven. You put that person in your organization as one of your key leaders. The odds are that everyone that that person hires and that the way all those people work, it's not going to be collaborative. It's going to be top down. It's going yeah. to be hierarchical and the information isn't going to flow as it did before. Yeah. So that's a really clear example of where values matter because the aspect of your culture that you believed was something that allowed you to monetize because you were able to innovate faster than other people. That aspect of your culture all of a sudden is gone with that one hire. That's and really, it's, it's an extreme example, but it's a really clear one. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because I mean, we, Again, we're talking about in the context of both of our businesses, kind of that litmus test for getting support and whether that's like hiring in the context of having someone come on full time or it could even be like part time or a freelancer. You really do want somebody who's coming in that um, can kind of be on the same page or level 
from a mindset perspective. And so I want to go back to, you know, the example of the wing or refinery 29 companies where actually they really did have clear values. Um, where do you think that, that it fell apart? Do you think that it was in the hires? Do you think that, um, I mean, personally, I look at the kind of leadership and I do follow some of the leaders of both companies on Instagram and they really were like talking the talk, but they weren't, they weren't walking the walk. So, if you have values and you have a niggling feeling that even if you're like a one man band, maybe you aren't always bringing that to the table when you're making decisions. Um, how do you hold yourself accountable and how do you hold the people that work with you accountable? Yeah. So before I answer that question, I think going back to those companies, I think it's important to restate the fact that they, they may have talked the talk, but they didn't walk the walk. And this is what's essential people and organizations learn the same way that children do. So if you tell a child to do something, they might do it. If you model it for that child and tell them to do it, they're a lot more likely to do it. Mm. And so that's how people learn. That's how organizations learn. I think the leaders within those companies used the values as a marketing tool. They themselves didn't live it. Yeah. I doubt that the leadership under them lived it. And probably the rest of the employees looked around and said, you can't survive by living those values because the values that you have to live by to survive in this company are different. So the unstated values, the lived values were not the same as the values that they broadcast Something to their customers and to investors. And yeah, to the world. I, I think it's really interesting the way that you're talking about a company or an organization. I mean, you're really like, personifying it. And I know this this is getting slightly off topic, but I think that it comes back to women building companies. I personally feel like right now, um, you know, I'm, I'm 32 years old, I got married recently. So the, the question that most people ask me is like, when are you having kids? And I'm like, um, my business is my baby. Like I, I put so much maternal energy into really like building the business. And so it's really interesting that you're talking about how you need to model for an organization kind of similarly to the way that you would model for a child. So I, I would just like to, yeah, like kind of delve into that a little bit more and talk about that. Um, because this, it's the same with children, right? Like you raise your children with a set of values that you want them to kind of, again, be like their ethical and moral true north in difficult, in difficult positions. So can you talk a little bit more about like, do you think that that's bringing a kind of a feminine aspect to your business? And do you think that um, maybe that's why, for example, me and people like me who are kind of ambivalent at best about whether capitalism, which is obviously quite masculine um, and, you know, building these more um, uh, open organizations that are very values driven, do you feel do you feel that that clearly you do think it's compatible, but I guess I would just love to talk a little bit more about bringing that, that feminine kind of spirit and intention to the building of your business and the infusing of the values in it. You know, it's interesting because I don't think of it as feminine and masculine, but I understand where you're coming from. So I am a mom of two um, and my career until I became a, an entrepreneur was let's say, Highly ma on the highly masculine side of things, doing strategy for large companies, mostly in financial services, 
I, for most of my career, worked in largely male teams and was on occasion told that I had a masculine approach to work. I've been told that too. <laughs> yes, I'm very, and I took that as offensive because I, I never really thought of the way that you approach work as being something that's gendered. That being said, if you look at anthropology and evolutionary biology, women tend to be more relational and um, men tend to be less. So there are, there are some differences, I think. Um, when it comes to values, though, I think perhaps women, because of the way we're socialized, maybe we are the things that we state as values up front might be slightly different than the things that men state as values. And I think when you build a company, um, because the values that you build it on might be slightly different, let's say a, a company built by a woman might be more focused on collaboration, whereas a company built by a man might be more focused on competition. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm generalizing then those values cascade through the company and the company might be built a little bit differently as a result. Yeah. But I think values have always mattered because culture is essentially, I see culture as what allows you to get all the people in your company to consistently deliver on something to your client in a consistent manner because they all believe in the same things and they all believe in doing things a certain way. So that's how you get people to actually do things predictably, even if one person leaves and another person comes in because you all share that culture and that culture is built on certain values. So I think building companies on values has always mattered. And I do think that the, the values that we're starting to think are important might be a little bit different as you get more women in, um, in positions where they're leading companies. It's really interesting that, that you're saying that because I, I do feel like for a lot of my life, I have brought, and yeah, it's interesting, until quite recently, I've never thought of it as a masculine or a feminine kind of energy, but if I'm pinned to having to define it that way, like as a masculine or feminine energy, definitely more like from a position of strength, I'm really focused on our bottom line and in that way can we basically like outspend the competition or outsmart them or like I've always looked at it from a very competitive lens but what I've realized in that is that um, for, for both myself personally and then also for the company that I'm trying to build uh, I don't have any values that underpin that and that had that is for another a conversation for another day of personally the um, yeah uh, response I had to that but from the position of my company some of the things that you're talking about like really hit home I'm like oh I really made some <laughs> bad hiring choices in the past or maybe I handled some things with clients or with partners in a way that I had no um kind of anchor in the ground for like here's how I should handle this whereas if I had had a value that I could really say okay here's my value so one of them in our company for example is we carry our own backpacks, but we're all on the same trail. So it's very clear that everyone obviously is not going to be micromanaged and they really need to be accountable, but we're all pulling together for the same mission and vision. So if somebody has a, you know, issue, a personal issue and needs to take a lot of time off, we always look at that kind of challenge in the context of that value. And it really has helped me as the leader, but also I think everybody relate to each other. So it's just really interesting to think of to think of that and to think of that in the context of 
bringing like a masculine or a feminine kind of energy. Um, and another way that I guess we could, yeah, talk about that is competition versus collaboration. Um, so I, I find that to be really interesting. And I, I know that you have actually come up with five steps for really building an intentional company that um, regardless of kind of where you are in the business kind of process, whether you're just a solopreneur right now, or you are kind of starting to scale up a little bit, uh, you can refer to. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? And we've threaded through some of those yeah. things, but be, yeah, something that you can like leave people with to, to go away and really work on for their own businesses. Yeah. So I think we should all strive to be intentional companies or intentional entrepreneurs. And that means that you need to be clear about what your values are. Be clear first about what your values are personally, and then be clear about what your values are in your business or in the work that you do. So it starts with how you present yourself and how you present your products and services to the world and sticking to your values. And it becomes an asset over time because it becomes associated with your brand. And trust is really important as part of a brand. As you start growing, make sure your leaders, especially, um, and also your employees know what behaviors support those values. So it's one thing to state values, but a lot of people need it modeled because they need to understand what it looks like to live those values. So your leaders should be modeling your values and your employees should then be able to model your values. And then this is getting a lot bigger, but as you get bigger, you start creating policies and processes because you have to. And so when you create those policies and processes, again, be intentional. Create them with those values in mind and make sure that those values are at the core of those processes, of those systems you put in place. And one great place to do that is in hiring. And so there, make value fit one of your hiring criteria. Out with culture fit, in with value fit. So test on the technical skills and on value fit. Mm -hmm. And so those are that's sort of how you scale from going from your personal values to actually making values something that lives within your company. And then one little note on that is small infractions add up to big problems. So don't turn a side eye when you see someone sort of, you know, going astray of the core values. You need to guard those values regardless of what stage you're at. That's that really would be my advice. That's really helpful. And it's interesting because as you were talking through like each um, kind of step of building an intentional company, I was kind of reflecting on my own business journey and thinking about how, you know, a couple of years ago I started just me. Uh, but I, I, like I said, kind of did not have a really clear idea of the values I wanted to infuse in my company. And as I've gotten clearer on that, um, and it's, you know, been both an infusion of my own personal values and becoming clear on those and what I want to bring to my business, as well as sometimes a reaction to what I have seen out there. Uh, so, for example, like a, a reaction to the things that I'm seeing, the the pushback on this, um, you know, phenomenon of corporate feminism and kind of the emptiness of it sometimes. My company has actually grown. And so I think that for people who maybe are sitting there thinking like this is not a priority because I was definitely one of those people at the very beginning. Um, for me, at least, I think that people, this is, as you say, something that really can make you stand apart. It can be really a 
a unique value that you bring in your business to your clients and to people who want to work with you to attract talent. But you just have to make sure that, I mean, this is the issue with corporate feminism, with the companies we've talked about, that it, it's not real. It's, it's not actually what people are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. It's not truly what they believe. So as long as it's really coming from that genuine place, then your business really can grow and like you really benefit from from having those. Is Have you seen that as well? I know that you are just starting out, but how do you feel about that with your own company with After Third right now? So with After Third, um, yes, for me, I personally believe that if I can't run the company according to my values, I don't want to run it because I've, I've been in, I've worked for many different companies. I've been in, in a variety of corporate settings and I got to a point where I achieved the professional milestones that I had wanted to achieve. I had set out to achieve and I realized I was completely unsatisfied. And it was because at the end of the day, I had made those decisions based on external markers. They weren't according to my values. And I ended up working in an environment that did not align with my values. Yeah. And because of that, every day took a lot more effort than it should have. Yeah. Work really felt like work, whereas early in my career, work had felt like joy. Yeah. So I think when I think of my company, and we're still fairly small, we're going to be very, very set on our values. And I already have plans for how we're going to scale, how we're going to build with those values at the core. And we've made those decisions along the way as well, because I'm not going to get joy from this job, from doing this work, unless I know I'm doing it in a way that aligns with my values. Mm -hmm. So it's really important. And I don't believe that there's a conflict between the market and the way that I want to build a company. At the core, capitalism is a system of allocating goods. Basically, free market system with private ownership is what we're saying. There's different flavors of that that have come to life. I would say probably in the U.S., for example, the the in capital in their flavor of capitalism the shareholders are the number one stakeholder and they hold so much power much more than they did in the past because of that flavor of capitalism um so you know the, the challenge in that environment would be making sure that the investors buy into the values mm -hmm. and that they're willing to wait for the long-term value to be built instead of trading for that short-term growth. Good, yeah. So I think that that's where capitalism has created a conflict, but it's that specific flavor. It's not capitalism in and of itself. And I think that as we were talking about a little bit earlier, if you are really intentional and clear about your values as you build your company, you're probably not going to end up with shareholders who are confused about that and are, and therefore your shareholders will on some level share those values. So it's just, a wonderful kind of system where everybody is supporting those and you don't have, um, you know, at least in the ideal world, too many people who are going to rail against that. And, and you know, if you do, you have your values to fall back on in those tough decisions as well. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What, do you, what is your take on how how the values with respect to shareholders how how they have served you in those conversations so actually i have a really um interesting yeah kind of and, and this was maybe my first foray into realizing how um important values are and that i really needed them i had a situation last year where i was offered investment and the investors had a slew of conditions 
Um, one of which was to cut my salary by quite a bit because they felt like I needed to, um, I mean, essentially put, put skin in the game. Uh, and I, I kind of asked them, you know, why this much? It was like an 85% salary cut. And their response was, oh, well, your husband like works. So, you know, you can, you can afford to take a pay cut. And I realized right there that they do not share, um, my, first of all, they did not really respect me or my time, right? But also they clearly don't share my values of the fact that people who work hard need to be fairly compensated. Um, and they were just putting their kind of financial well-being essentially before mine. And again, that was kind of the, I struggled because I was like, oh, it would be so great to get to raise funding from both kind of the ability to grow, but also my ego, not going to lie. I, I really wanted that win from an ego perspective and to kind of validate what I was doing. But I decided to turn it down because they just, that is not something that was aligned with me personally. And I started to build the the values of my company around that to, again, give me a good kind of um, marker for, to make decisions like that in the, in the future. Um, and we're doing fine. We've been able to to take the profits of the company and, and grow just fine. So again, I think that there's a lot of a lot of room for that. It's really making sure that, you know, I had to go through the the pain and the process of, of putting those values together and really making sure that those are ones that when I come to situations like that, I feel comfortable using those as the guardrails and the markers to make those decisions. And I love this example because it also shows how values can help you make decisions mm -hmm. that are consistent and that help you consistently get toward your strategic goals. Yeah, So exactly. values serve as more than just a moral compass, but they can give your strategy and your decision-making um, direction and consistency. Yeah, yeah. And again, that's really helpful if you have a team so that they also can understand um, sometimes even before they ask a question or before they're like, well, what's the bigger picture here? They can actually start to fill in those gaps for themselves. There are no surprises, which as I've scaled, I've started to realize a little bit as well. Um, and that's, I, I think that's super cool. Well, could just to kind of wrap things up, do you mind going over just once more what those kind of five steps to building an intentional company are um, to just leave people with as they go away and think about uh, what we've discussed today? Yes, happily. So start with yourself. Be clear about your values and be clear about your company's values. And then make sure that your employees, your leaders actually knows what it means to live those values. So not just what are they in concept, but how do I behave to live those values? And then expect them, especially your leaders and yourself, to model those values. As you grow and scale, you want to take those values and encode them in all of your policies, processes, and systems. So design from the ground up and build your company from the ground up with those values in mind. And then apply those values, especially in the hiring criteria, out with culture fit, in with value fit. So hire based on both value fit and technical skills for the role that you need. So those are the steps that you can take to be an intentional company. This has been such an interesting conversation. And I, I, again, this is the first time that I've hosted a guest and I almost feel like we need more than like 25 minutes to talk about this. Cause I think we've just like scraped the surface of a really interesting 
um, conversation that we could go on for hours about, but I think we'll leave it there. And um, I would love to get feedback from all of the listeners that have tuned into this, what you think, if you would like us to talk more on this topic, and just anything else that comes to mind that you would like me to include in the podcast. Um, But Carolina, thank you so, so much for taking the time and sitting down and having this chat with me today. It has been really, really interesting and just left me with a lot of food for thought for how I'm going to continue growing CFD. Thank you so much for having me. This was a wonderful conversation. Take care. Bye. All right.